Welcome to episode six of the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. Today is July 20th, the year's 2019. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about the history of Tilt Wheel, specifically. This is the second part of the history of Tilt Wheel, what I like to call the Aaron years. Now, the funny thing is, I measure time and, and periods of Tilt Wheel's history by who was playing bass at the time because uh, Aaron was our first bass player. He was in the band from 1992 until 1997. Um, you know, after that, well, we kind of had a little bit of a recurring, er, recurring, yeah, that was definitely the wrong word that I was trying to say there. Uh, we definitely had kind of a, a rotating door policy with bass players. It continues to this day, sort of, kind of. Regardless, tonight we're going to talk about the Aaron years. And those years, like I said, were 92 to 97. Um, in the last podcast, I went over the Damon years. You know, again, I measure years by who was in the band or, or, or eras of Till Will by who was in the band. Um, Damon was the founder of the band. He was the first singer, and we ended up kicking him out. So Davey could sing because it wasn't really working out too good. That was covered in the, the History of Tilt Wheel Part 1 that I did a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. The thing about this one, this one was a little tricky because a lot happened in the years between, um, you know, after we kicked Damon out and it was just, we became a three-piece. There is a lot of stuff that happened, and I thought, well... You know, I, this is all in my head. This is a piece of cake. And I started researching it and looking into it, and I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, there, a lot of stuff happened. So I, I'm going to try and keep it concise and to the point, more or less. Uh, hope you enjoy it. For now, though, I do have something I'm going to do that I haven't done yet. I'm going to run a promo for another podcast. Uh, I'm on a podcaster, you know, kind of a, a group on Facebook, and one thing that they'll do is you'll do a cross podcast like promo swap thing where I'll run a promo for a podcast that's kind of similar to mine and vice versa. They'll run my promo on their podcast, bring in more listeners, that kind of thing. So tonight, you know, I'm going to run a little promo here in a minute. Um, gentleman by the name of Mike, who's based in the UK, his podcast is called Genuine Chit Chat. And it's pretty interesting. I, you know, I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't like his podcast, to be honest with you. And I do like his podcast. It was very interesting. The one that I listened to, actually, I listened to two of his episodes, but the one that I listened to had him talking to a gentleman who was uh, developing a role-playing game. And now I played D&D when I was a kid, so there's still a part of me that has a love of role-playing games, you know, somewhere deep inside um, I, I do definitely say I'm guilty of saying role-playing like that's for nerds well <clears throat> sure it is I learned something from his podcast where he was talking to this guy that's developing this game where he talked about the culture of role-playing games you know like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that and how it allows people who might have social anxieties or social issues to kind of step outside of themselves and be that, you know, knight in shining armor, that kind of hero guy that doesn't have all the crippling social anxieties they might have in their real life. Where, you know, working a job where somebody just beats you up all day um, to actually being like physically beat up because you're a nerd kind of thing and stepping into this role-playing world, how much that helps them. So it's really, really interesting. I'm glad I listened to it. I'm glad that we hooked up to do this cross promo. So regardless, here it is, a genuine chit-chat. His name is Mike. He's a great guy, seems to be. Check him out. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. I speak to a wide variety of guests, including CEOs of businesses, psychologists, authors, musicians, travelers, people suffering with physical and mental illnesses, and everyone in between where we speak about a large variety of topics, including music and movies and pop culture, but also some more controversial topics, including drug reform, political correctness, and many more. No subject is off limits. 
You can find us on all the usual podcast places, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, as well as on YouTube. And you can follow us on all the usual social media places. And to be clear, I don't expect everyone listening to enjoy every episode of my show. What I do think is that due to the wide variety of guests and topics, that there'll be at least one episode that each person listening will enjoy. So if you still appreciate the art of conversation and want to hear honest conversations with interesting people, then be sure to check out Genuine Chit Chat in all the usual places. All right, so there's a promo for Genuine Chit Chat. I would check it out if I were you. You know, I'm not going to twist your arm, but I would say it's definitely worth checking out. Pretty interesting. He's got a lot of episodes, a lot of good content, so check him out. All right, so back to the history of Tilt Wheel Part 2 the Aaron years so for me the beginning of uh Uh, oh yeah here we go all right it wouldn't be uh, a bobcast without me burping a couple times um yeah I've had the coffee thing blah 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 you know I I hit it pretty hard today um coffee wise and I'm on like my first beer here so it's it's gonna be a good ride tonight I think I'm, I'm gonna enjoy it I don't know maybe you won't uh, but, you know, this is kind of all about me. <coughs> Hence the title, I Want to Party with Bob. Bob, that's me. So the Aaron years really, I mean, it, it it all started with the recording that we did for the volume comp that was out on Liquid Meat Records um, back in 1994. So that very day, you know, like I said in the last podcast about Tilt Wheel, that very day we gave Damon the boot, went into the studio, date. Davey had lyrics ready to go, you know, sang all the songs. Four of the songs that we recorded that day were put out on a, a compilation CD called Volume. But like I said, on Liquid Meat Records, they were based in, um, I believe, Escondido at the time. Escondido, California, that is. Uh, you know, that recording, God, it has a ton of reverb. It sounds cr- like really weird in a way, but the songs are pretty solid. I was happy with them. I still am. Like I listened to them a few weeks ago and was like, wow, this, these songs are okay. You know, we were not terrible. We weren't, uh, the best, but we never have been. I don't think, I mean, I think that they're, they're, they're okay. They're not bad. Volume, the compilation itself was a rad comp. So here's a list of the bands that were on it. Hemlock, which Chris Prescott, that was in Tanner and Fishwife and everything, prior to that or I think he was actually in Tanner at the same time he did Hemlock he sings and plays guitar he in Hemlock in um, Tanner he played drums dude's an insanely good drummer and great singer and guitar player too he's a very multi-talented guy but Hemlock was a rad band Um, Ashes Dust is on it now Ashes Dust I have some personal history with Mark Hostetter sang uh, Mario Rublicaba of you know a multitude of gnarly bands play drums the dude's like the probably one of the best drummers in the world um joe halliday played bass in ashes dust and i can't remember i who played guitar but anyways that's my bad i didn't research that sorry because this is kind of a sideline but joe and mark and i were in a band called caress that i kind of briefly talked about in the last podcast i'll get to that you know on another podcast i i think one of my friends uh, daniel gave me an idea it's well, why don't you do a podcast about bands you've been kicked out of? There's only been like three or four or something like that, but it's a good idea. Anyways, so there's some personal stuff there, but it, Ashes does. It was an incredible band, man. I swear to God. Um, Everetti is on there, you know, East County, East San Diego County, kind of snotty punk, but good stuff. Great. Boilermaker, um, who, you know, I'm, I'll talk about probably several times through the course of this podcast. They're on the volume comp and they were one of the best bands that I've ever heard truly incredible guys and I mean we have a lot of history with them so we'll get more to that uh, later and there was also a band called Unleaded on volume from San Diego but I don't really know much about I don't even know who was in it Davey would know I don't I didn't bother to research it because this is kind of a sideline but regardless um, so we had four songs on volume they were called I Am Not O Anymore, and Manila, which really is kind of a combination of... that. It, it's kind of one song. We would call it 12 into 10, because I think Manila was number 12, and I Am Not O Anymore was number 10. 
in our you know our total catalog up to this point um <coughs> and we didn't we didn't hey let's play i'm not O anymore we just say no play 12 and a 10 always had like hand signs or just numbers or some kind of nickname for a song never like a set list that we have you go you know hey can i have your set list like not that anybody ever asked for that shit but uh go yeah here you go and they go well what are what's all this it's like all code you know that's how you keep the illuminati off your back is you do code Fuck no! No chemtrails are going to hit your ass if they can't figure out who you really are. Do you know what I mean? I hope you do. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I had another song on there called "Jill's the Best" and "Bailout." So a total of four songs. Uh, volume was a big door opener for us. I mean, it really kind of put us on the beginning of a map that would be, you know, the rest of the beginning of the rest of of our lives in this band volume was great man i mean we got a lot of shows because of it we did played a lot of parties in those days in in 94 um we started playing around a little bit more playing actual shows we did we definitely played a lot of parties and those were great days man the things were just so new for us you know like doing stuff that we hadn't done up to that point like actually being a band and we're active and playing and dude i was so happy back then just to go and play music and you know i've i've i burn out on that aspect of things a little bit you know the lugging of the drums here like playing on a weeknight kind of thing it gets old i guess but when you sit down like for me like when i sit down and actually start playing music fuck everything else is gone like I don't care I'm in that moment of just playing music and that's how I felt all the time in 94 that it was like the raddest feeling it's hard to describe really but <clears throat> it was pretty pretty amazing um yet later in 94 uh, on the same record label liquid meat I think they they kind of said well why don't we do a seven inch for you guys we had some new songs we had um you know been working on new songs and still we were practicing in escondido at aaron's parents house in the indoor racquetball court um yeah we hauled a shitload of, of empty beer cans out of there too like i mean i'm serious like we would do i don't know i'd go to the recycling place maybe once every couple months and make like 50 bucks off this just stockpiles of cans because every night we went that we practiced i think we did like two or three nights of practice in a week usually we drink at least a 12 pack between us and just get fucked up and play music and yeah so the the recycling was that was just kind of like a bonus you know really so uh Anyways, moving on. The Liquid Mead, I think we Davy kind of helped them with a label. It was Tim and Molly, two people that, that Davy knew. I think they all went to Palomar College together or something like that, and they started this record label. Well, um, they said, yeah, we'll put out a 7-inch for you guys. So, okay, great. We had some new songs. We went and recorded with Gar Wood, um, who at the time was in a band called Tanner from San Diego, Prior to that, he was in a band called Fishwife. Now, Fishwife was basically Tanner. It was Matt, Chris, and Gar in Tanner. And Fishwife, um, Brian Fox, was a singer. Um, and I don't know what happened. You know, this isn't the history of goddamn Fishwife and Tanner. This is the history of Tilt Wheel that we're talking about here. So, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get into that. Uh, both bands were amazing, especially Tanner. It's like one of my favorite bands, period. Um Gar had a little studio set up in his garage down in San Diego and we went and recorded there um, for this seven inch we were putting out on liquid meat and it sounded pretty good I mean it you know I don't know I was stoked he's a super super nice dude really really easy to work with you know as far as recording goes um, I think it came out sounding pretty good and and once a seven inch actually came out a lot of people really liked it. It it was great. You know, I, I mean, again, I was on such a high in those days of just like play, play, play music. Yeah. Awesome. Put stuff out, do things, you know, like really heady, good times. Um, the best thing about the seven inch that I still get comments on these days, you know, 
oh, you guys put out that 7-inch that came with a beer coaster. Well, they made custom, like, cork beer coasters that came with every 7-inch because we were drunks. And, you know, that's what drunks do is give drinking accessories with the music that they put out, apparently. I don't know if we were the first to do it. You know, doesn't really matter to me. It was something that a lot of people really seem to appreciate. And I still have one 7-inch that has a coaster. I think I have two 7-inches. Only one has the coaster. But those coasters, like, I go over to a friend's house, and it was like, oh, you have the coaster? Oh, awesome. Have you listened to the record? Oh, no, no, I just got it for the coaster. Oh, well, fuck. Oh, great. Okay. Well, that's something. You know, that's that's something. Um, yeah. So 7-inch was great. Um, coaster was even better, apparently. So, you know... Kind of going back to, not going back, but, you know, talking more about the year 94, that was a pretty big year for us, you know, personally as well as musically. Um, at the beginning of 94, I lived in Escondido with a couple friends, roommate kind of things. Aaron had moved from his parents' house to a place, an apartment in, es- in, in Escondido, in, uh, in Encinitas. Sorry, I'm getting my E-words all, all mis- mixed up here. Um, yeah, I need a sip of beer, man. I like I'm thirsty. Thank you very much. Oh, that was good. So at some point, you know, me and Aaron both surfed too. Um, it, Aaron talking about living in Encinitas, it was nice for him because you like just shoot straight down to the beach, go surfing. And I was driving from Escondido like almost every day, spring, summer, and fall to go surfing. I didn't have a full suit yet. So, um, didn't really go out in the dead of winter kind of thing, but I drive out from Escondido, you know, Escondido to Encinitas, which is like about a half hour, 40 minute drive or whatever, surf, drive all the way back home, blah, blah, blah. An opportunity came up for me to move to Cardiff by the sea, which is just south of Encinitas. Uh, burp again. It is, I want to party with Bob. It's not, you know, let's sit down and talk to Bob, who's boring as shit. I'm trying to have a good time here. I, I hope you are. I don't know. If you listen this far, I would assume you're probably having somewhat of a good time. I <clears throat> I would really, I would hope so. Well, regardless, I ended up moving out to Cardiff with a couple of roommates. Um, it was awesome. We, we, you know, surfing like every other day, pretty much just having a good time. Um, eventually, we, Aaron's parents moved and we couldn't practice in the racquetball court anymore. I think I'm actually getting a little ahead of myself, but um, yeah, I'm definitely am. So st- uh, strike that from the records immediately. Um, regardless, Aaron's living situation wasn't the best. They lived in kind of a weird apartment, and mine was kind of a weird situation too. So you know, me and Aaron kind of started talking. Well, let's let's find a place, man. Let's move into a place. So we found a place in Cardiff on the corner of Birmingham and Edinburgh. And Cardiff's a really small town. Like, it's it, back then, it was a rad town. Um, you know, we lived on the top of this kind of hill. We would, once we found a place, we moved in. It was me, Aaron, and this other guy, Will. Um, we would bomb the hill to go down to the liquor store. There was a taco shop at the bottom of the hill that we would eat at all the time that had great burritos super good place we just bombed this like gnarly hill there were parties all the time all around us like it was lots of young people lived there then you know cardiff by the sea was a super cool town now it's extremely gentrified like every stupid little place is you know like let me put it this way when we lived in this little duplex in cardiff and this like i said we moved in um in 1994, like June of 94, we, me, Will, and Aaron moved into this duplex. Our rent was $900 for a three-bedroom duplex. Um, when Willow, my wife, and I started dating and started talking about um, finding a place to, you know, moving in together or whatever, and that was in like uh, 2010, the place that I lived in with Will and Aaron was up for rent in Cardiff. And we're like, oh, shit, that'd be awesome. Let's check it out. So in 2010, early 2010, they were renting this shitty duplex, this shitty three-bedroom duplex in Cardiff for $2,600 fucking dollars. 
now it's probably like 3500 bucks a month. It's insane. So the town t- has completely changed. Major douchery going on. Like, I mean, my God, it, it sucks, dude. It was so great and so much fun when we lived there. So that's what we're going to talk about is the good days. Um, not the shitty gentrified Starbucks on every corner days that we have now. And that fucking taco shop's like long gone. They couldn't afford to stay there anymore. And now it's some douchey like you know, sushi place that I, I had, did eat at one time. And, you know, it was like a $70 fucking bill for like three rolls of sushi and two beers. I mean, fuck you. That's bullshit. Let me just tell you right there. There's no goddamn fish in this world. I don't care if you're some weird purist about fish like the, the sushi Nazi or whatever. Oh, no, this cut of fish. I don't give two shits about how good this cut of... You, you are not going to charge me 70 bucks for two beers and three little rolls of sushi that like some raw fish that's fucking bullshit that is total bullshit yeah now i'm pissed you know now that i think now i'm pissed fuck this i don't even want to talk about the band anymore let's talk about how fucked up everything is yeah i'm not gonna do that i'll keep going uh so we moved into this place in 94 um having good times great times uh you know i think we still at that point you know i got totally weirdly ahead of myself back there with a practice situation but davy lived in escondido and i think we still practice in escondido at that time so you know we would all meet out there practice and yada yada um it eventually we we did end up losing the place aaron's parents house like i was kind of saying earlier and we ended up practicing in my bedroom in this three bed three bedroom duplex in Cardiff, which was even better. I mean, it's just an ex- excuse to like not have to drink and drive at that point in my life. And I, because I was an idiot then, and I did drink and drive a lot. I shouldn't even admit that. So don't do it, because eventually I got caught and I was fucked. So don't drink and drive, because not only can you kill somebody or or yourself, um, money wise, time wise, you're you're done especially now like you are done if you drink and drive so the psa do not drink and drive thank you uh 94 you know great year again that's the year i actually met my wife uh we were playing shows with um the dude she was dating played drums in this band called government grown i know it sounds weird it is weird actually it's really weird but it's awesome because I met my wife, my wife to be, she was a kid. She was like 16 and it's not creepy because I was only like, I was 24 and I didn't start dating her until I was like 39 and she was like, you know, I don't know, 31 or something. So don't think it's creepy. You know, I wasn't like, Ooh, like I want to hook up with her. No, no, no. She was 16 years old at the time, you know, so hands off. That's not cool. <clears throat> Man, I that was a weird detour kind of, uh, but anyway, as I met my wife cause we were playing shows with, uh, my, my wife's, uh, boyfriend at the times band played a couple shows in Encinitas. We played in velvet, played parties with these guys, government grown, very weird mix. These were also, you know, not only were these great days, but they were sh- kind of strange days too, because this band, they were like a total deadheads. And here we are, this kind of like poppy punk band, you know, um, playing with like these kind of like hippie dudes you know it was really strange but we had a great time with them we always had fun we'd play parties out in the middle of nowhere with like generators and um we'd play legit shows with them they were big like with all the kids in Encinitas so we'd we'd play a show with them you know shit 100 kids would show up and it was a blast I mean there were kids punk kids would go to it like hippie kids truly a good time not something I think you know we've done in a really really long time and that's kind of too bad when you when you play with kind of a mixed crowd there's people gonna hate you people are gonna love you and back then you know we didn't give a shit you want to play a show yes um okay well you know it's at midnight on a tuesday and it's in a field in the middle of like you know nowhere literally nowhere and we have a generator okay yeah we're down don't you have to work the next day yeah yeah but who cares well when you're 24 it doesn't make a shit bit of difference you can get two hours of sleep and still like conquer the world the next day um you know it so we we did a lot of that we did a lot of played a lot of parties we were playing um 
a lot of different places in 94. Like we were playing shows very regularly. Like I said, kind of the, the volume CD, the seven inch, all that stuff that we had done, um, really kind of opened a lot of doors for us. And I hate to be the douchey guy that says like, Oh, it opened doors for us. Cause it does sound douchey, but you know, here's, you know, let's skip that. And, and here's a list of the places that we played, um, in the year 1994, a place called Soul Kitchen in El Cajon, um, the Velvet down in Midtown, Mesopotamia out in Lemon Grove. Um, like I said, did a lot of parties. Uh, we also played at Soma a lot, which became an area of contention because the owner's business practices were not really on the up and up so much. Um, and we didn't play the big stage. Soma was weird because they had like a little side stage area and then they had like a big stage and we always played like the smaller stage but we had a lot of great shows there we had a lot of fun played with a lot of great bands man truly truly did um it, one weird thing that did happen to us in 94 we started playing at this place called the vampire lounge in simi valley and simi valley from where we lived in cardiff is about a three three and a half hour drive it's in it's like kind of north yeah, it's hard to describe where it is, but it's it's like, you know, an hour and a half kind of northwest of L.A. It's kind of in between Ventura and L.A., way kind of out in the middle of nowhere. That, uh, that's where the Ronald Reagan Library is, if that tells you anything. There's a lot of white people in Simi Valley um, that are like Ronald Reagan, apparently. But really strange. I don't know how Davey hooked up with the dudes and strung out somehow and they had us up there to play a show at this vampire lounge place and it was packed it was crazy that's where they're from the inner strung outs from simi valley so the first show we played there was just gnarly like hundreds of kids in this tiny little coffee shop just going crazy and the owner of the place liked us so he he had us back a million times you know i think in 94 alone we probably played at this place like six or seven times or something the crowds definitely weren't there, but we made a lot of friends and had a really good time. Um, the Strung Out show was gnarly, of course. They were busy back then. They had just got on Fat, um, Fat Records, that is. And, you know, we made good friends with Jim Cherry, the bass player, their bass player, who eventually, who ended up pass, you know, passing away a couple years after that, sadly. He was a super cool dude, by the way. Um, all those Strung Out dudes were really cool, and they were really surprised at a band like us like like hardcore and stuff like gnarly music they're like whoa like you guys like style like 13 great whoa that's weird you guys are like a pop punk band though I'm like well yeah but you know we're a little more intricate than that there's don't judge a book by its cover we've talked about this on the podcast before and i will always tell you do not judge a book by its cover it's not the right thing or the smartest thing to do so vampire lounge yeah hit that place quite a bit 94 also saw us travel quite a bit. You know, we went back to Arizona to play in Phoenix. We played a big, like, kind of festival benefit show for this uh, skate shop that we had played in 93. We were a lot better. We were a three-piece. We kind of had our shit together a lot more. Um, JFA was the main band there. I don't even think we stuck around. Dude, we, we commandoed that thing. We drove all night, stayed at a friend's house, that or this dude that Davey knew, um, stayed at his house, played the next morning, watched like one band and drove straight home. And yeah, that was our adventure. Uh, that year we also went to Utah for one show. We drove to Provo from Cardiff, you know, drove overnight, played the next day. That was a crazy show. Face to face was the main band. Um, also, Boilermaker from Encinitas, or actually Lucadia, really, drove out there to play that show. He tried to get Blink to play. I'll get to the Blink stuff in a little bit. Don't push me. God damn it. I'm not going to talk that much about Blink because, you know what? This is not Blink's story. I guess they're kind of pivotal to the Tilt Wheel story, too, in some ways. But So we'll get to that. Um, yeah, we drove straight up, you know, drove all night, played, drove home the next day, like, commandos dude we were gnarly man in and out that by the way that trip was the literally like the drunkest i probably have ever been in my entire life pretty much the whole time um so bad you know i we when we left i think we left provo on a sunday oh yeah yeah and let me tell you the reason the whole reason we went up there one of me and aaron's roommate will 
he and his brother owned a skate shop in Provo, and it was kind of like a a little bit bit of a benefity thing for his skate shop to kind of keep it going. Um, that's why we were there. You know, his they put this whole show on. They they did a great job too. Like that was a, an amazing show. On the way home on the Sunday after the show, you know, um, yeah, I started drinking while we were driving home to the point where I started seeing things like. I think I made it probably like two or three hours out of Provo southbound and just, um, a, it can somebody else probably should drive because I'm seeing like things coming up out of the road and we pulled over and Aaron drove and I like, he was mad at me and I kind of like punched him and he like kicked me in the ass really hard and yeah, cause I was drunk and idiot, but <clears throat> yeah, so I'm going to sue you, Aaron, if you're listening to this, because I'm still emotionally damaged from that event. I'm just kidding. I was a drunken idiot, so I totally deserved it. Um, in 94, we also met a band called Fighting Cause, who we became very, very good friends with. Um, they're from San Bernardino. We went up there and played with them. They'd come down here and play with us. Um, you know, here's another road trip we did. In my Now, okay, in Provo, we took a van. We borrowed a van from our friend Todd and hauled ass up there, had a loft in which I was passed out in pretty much the majority of that whole trip in the in the loft of the van when I wasn't blasting failure from my boombox, you know, pissing everybody off. Um, the um, Bakersfield, I had a little Toyota pickup, just a single cab, nothing fancy. We'd load all of our shit in the back of this Toyota Um the three of us would sit in the cab and we drove all the way from Encinitas to Bakersfield in this, you know, what's that, like a four-hour drive or something, four and a half, to play a show. And, um, yeah, that was pretty gnarly. <laughs> like, Aaron actually got out of the truck. He was stuck in the middle because Davey at the time was like a bigger dude, you know, so he kind of – he couldn't really sit in the middle. He could, he just couldn't. He couldn't fit. And – well, he kind of could, but it was really sucked if he had to do that. Um Aaron, like, we pulled, he's like, dude, we got to pull over. Like, I got to stretch my legs or something. And we did, and he, like, just his legs had completely gone to sleep, and he just ate shit, fell on on the ground. Um, played at a place called Jerry's Pizza up there. But on, on the way up to Bakersfield, we stopped and played a party in San Bernardino with Fighting Cause. I don't remember, though, if they actually played it or if they just helped us out, got us a show, like, on the way up there. And while we were there, Ron Tidwell, the drummer from Fighting Cause, he did a column for uh, Flipside Magazine back in those days, and he interviewed us. That was our first interview for Flipside, which was pretty good. You know, it was interesting. I talk a lot about face-to-face and that. I talked about face-to-face, like, to anybody that would listen at that point because they were my favorite band. And, um, yeah, and they're from, you know, not really in the Inland Empire. They're from Victorville, which is, like, north of that, but... Um, everybody in the IE like knew and loved face to face. Like, oh, you guys sound kind of like face to face. I was like, oh, thank you. That's such a compliment, you know. Now I would go, oh fuck, we better change our sound because that's lame. Um, yeah, so we did a, quite a bit of traveling in '94. '94 was a pretty fantastic year. Uh, moving on to '95, you know, now reviews are starting to come in for our seven inch, and reviews had come in for vo- uh, volume comp. And what I always got to say about the reviews we got it, for anything we did up until like the late 90s, every fucking reviewer said we sounded like Jawbreaker. This Jawbreaker sounding band from San Diego, this Jawbreaker clone, um, yeah, they kind of sound like Husker Du a little bit, but really Jawbreaker, 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 always. And I was like, where do they get that? I don't know it because it's like, somewhat emotional melodic punk or something I know I, I still don't get that to this day um just wanted to kind of comment on that briefly that you know jawbreaker was who we got compared to more than anything else in those days when we got reviews so yeah kind of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me um you know what shit I skipped the whole Tom DeLong thing I'll I'll just go back to that briefly we did meet him in 1994 um Davey really was the one that met him and talked to him and they did their thing. But 
Um, we played a couple shows with Blink back then. I think we drove out to Lancaster, which is in like kind of the high desert area. Like it's like west, kind of southwest of Victorville. Um, you know, there were good dudes in those days. We had fun. Like Tom would come over to our house and we'd go to parties and stuff. I remember, I'll just mention this real quick. We had Tom came over one night and it was just me and him. And um, he knew of a party down the street or something. And we went there. And I had a 12-pack of Meisterbrow, which was the drink of choice back in that day. It, for Tilt Wheel especially, we, in fact, our very first shirt design was the Meisterbrow logo with Tilt Wheel written underneath it. And I do believe our longtime friend Gene Doney designed that for us. Thank you, Gene. If you're listening, thank you. I'll, I'll never forget you for that. Because that was probably like the most standout thing we had ever done you know is oh you guys you know you're the guys with the Meisterbrow shirt yeah 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 that's us yeah we're awesome by the way um so anyway me and Tom are going to this party and had a 12 pack of Meisterbrow and some chick came up to me like can I have one of your beers and I was like uh no and he he thought I was the best he was all oh my god I can't believe you told that girl no she can't like fuck that why should she get one of my beers what yeah like she's gonna hang out and talk to me that's bullshit she's just using me for beer that's oh that's crazy i couldn't say no like uh, okay tom that's why you're into what you're into now giant fucking moron um but he was pretty cool back then yeah so let's move forward to 95 and let's move forward real quick to an interview that i did for my friend megan megan besmirched let's just call her that and her magazine was called besmirched that's how she got her last name. That's not her real last name, by the way. Um, this was the first interview she ever did, and this was sometime in 95. I, I can't remember exactly when. they. This interview was done at our, our house in Cardiff. First question Megan asks is this. Bob, how do you describe Tilt Wheel's music? Other than that, you rock like ACDC. And she says, I overheard some guy say that at their show. I hope he was joking. And I said, ha ha. That was classic. Actually, that's a compliment and a half. I'm just going to read a little bit more of this because I don't know what... Oh, I know what was wrong with me. I was an idiot back then. Way more so than I am now, for sure. This is Megan again. At least they didn't say that you rocked like Aerosmith or something. And this is me. Hey, those guys are so cool. Ha ha. Actually, I can't really say. I guess we would be like a mix, kind of East Bay punk rock. You know what I mean? No, Bob, I don't. And now I still don't know what I, the fuck I was saying in this interview, but let's let's continue. Megan says, you mean like Green Day? And then, ha-ha, laughter. And this is me. No, no, like Jawbreaker Tilt. Now, I just said I didn't understand why people said we sound like Jawbreaker. And here I am. Here's proof I'm a fucking hypocrite because here I am saying that we sound like Jawbreaker in an interview. God damn it. You know, it's good to be called on your shit, isn't it? You know, because that was an eye-opener for me. Jeez. Okay. Okay, let me continue. Uh, no, no, like Jawbreaker or Tilt. Kind of like heavier punk rock, don't you think? It's like around there. <sighs> hmm. I don't know. I don't know what I meant. Megan, what are some of the band's influences? Here's my answer. Face-to-face, period. Face-to-face, face-to-face. Jesus, this is fucking painful, man. Um, We'll just do a couple more. This is Megan. So what do you think about the San Diego scene? My answer, a lot of good bands, a lot of bad bands. Who was I saying were bad bands? I kind of I would like to know. I would like to know what who I thought of was a bad band back in those days. There we played with some shitty bands for sure. The like some band Stems and Seeds at this party. And then fuck those guys. If you're listening and you were in a band called Stems and Seeds, I hope you are listening because you know what? Fuck you and your rock star bullshit. They were playing a party with them and these motherfuckers took a break to go smoke weed in the parking lot of this house parking lot. It was a driveway. Let's call okay, it's a driveway. They stopped. We're going to take a break and come back for more. And we were like, oh, no, you're not. No, this is a party that could be shut down at any time by the cops. 
That's not what you do at a party. That's when you do when you're the house band at the fucking catamaran. You know, you're fucking morons. So fuck you, stems and seeds. I hope you are listening, you cocksuckers. Fuck them. Let's continue. Um, Megan says, after my a lot of good bands, a lot of bad, bad bands, reply, more than a lot. More than a lot of what, Megan? I say, I think seriously, it's so divided between North County and San Diego. By what do I, what do I mean by like the bands from North County and the bands from San Diego? I, I don't know what I really meant. So Megan says, "Well, talk about North County," and I say, "Well, North County has a lot of good bands, especially like on the coast. Government Grown, our friends' band, they're great. Let's see, Boilermaker." Oh my God, they're beautiful. And that's true, actually. That's the only kind of real true thing I said in this whole goddamn interview. Megan says, and the San Diego bands? And I say, No Knife. That's another band. No Knife is fucking great. But I like San Diego type bands. I, and we're going to leave off there because, you know, I'm reading it in this, like, Jesus Christ, I sound like I'm 12 in half of this. Yeah. Pretty bad. I'm uh, moving on through the rest of 95. I'm going to start kind of speeding this up a little bit because we're in the 40-minute range here. Um, and I don't want to go on too much. There's a, so much to this. you know. Eventually, I will say I'm going to sit down and talk with Davey and Aaron on this podcast and we'll relive fond memories of the glory days of past, okay? Um, you know, 95, we played a lot of the same places. We played a, a Velvet all the time. Uh, Blink actually had us play the CD release party or record release party for Cheshire Cat at Soma on the big stage. And that was a pretty fun show. Um, we played with Strung Out and Rhythm Collision, a band called Open Fast. I think that, you know, I don't know that they played around that much, but whatever. Um, that was a fun, fun night. Strung Out back then, I loved them. after Their first record, you know, dude, I'm not super into the bro punk thing at all. You know, like, not a Pennywise fan. I'm not going to slag them and sit here and say, oh, you know, blah, 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 whatever. Strung Out was a band that I truly did like. Those dudes were were fucking awesome. Um, Blink was fun back then, too. So, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a great night. We had a lot of fun. Um, some of the places we played, some new places that we hadn't played before in 95, there was a warehouse on 14th and C down in downtown San Diego, um, you know, Joe and Andy's out in La Mesa. Um, we played a place called Monty's Den at, at SDSU, which was kind of like in the student center at SDSU, little bar kind of thing. Um, that was a new place that we started playing fairly regularly in 95. And, of course, we were doing the Velvet thing, the Soma thing still. Drove out to Yuma to play a show. That was super fun at, like, a VFW hall. Um that was really, really fun. And we always, I got to say, like, we always loved to kind of play places like a little off the beaten path like Yuma because, dude, you know, there'd be like 200 kids just going crazy when you're playing compared to playing at home to like 10 people that are like, eh, you know, you guys are okay. It's because they were starved for music, starved for fun. So 95 was a good year, man. We had a lot of fun, did a lot of stuff. Um, don't need to get too much more into it other than that, really. 96 that's the year that we recorded for the battle hymns record um that was our first full length most of the songs on battle hymns had been released on various like compilations um you know a couple of songs on battle hymns were on our seven inch i don't think anything on volume was on that i can't remember for sure no i don't think any no nothing on volume ended up being on uh battle hymns but um we had some trepidation because you know davy was really definitely a stickler like dude we don't want to put um you know say we give a song to this guy who's doing this comp this compilation cd or record or whatever we don't want to you know screw him by putting it on something else so someone's going to see like a full length that the same songs on a comp they're going to buy the full length or whatever they're going to buy one or the other so somebody's going to get screwed that was his thought and he's right man that guy has the kindest most good-hearted business sense of anybody that i've ever met in my entire life um not kissing up to the dude you know 
but truly the man is the most generous kind person that I think I've ever met. So, um, we kind of went back and forth on that. We're like, well, should we do it? We're like, yeah, we kind of need a record. You know, if we want to do, if we want to tour, if we want to do different things or whatever, we really kind of need to do this. So, um, finally we just go, okay, you know, fuck it. We're going to do it. So we recorded the songs. I believe there are 12 songs on battle hymns. We recorded them at double time studio it down in El Cajon, um, East County, San Diego. Um, the dude that runs double time is a drummer and he's a fantastic drummer. Jeff Forrest is his name. And I played drums using like his kind of backline or set, you know, re- set up to record drum set. That record was the best I think I have ever played drums in my entire life. I don't know what I did, but I mean, my God, I was on fire that day. And I don't, I'm not trying to toot my own horn or anything like that, but that record sounds fucking great. I mean, I really, I listen to it now and I'm like, God damn, like that is a fantastic record. It is absolutely great. Um, you know, we, we liquid meat said, well, let's put a video out for one of the songs, which was another sappy song about hate, which we recorded uh, or filmed, I should say. in like parts of Pacific beach and at velvet is where like the playing scene took place. Um, it, it, some film student dudes from SDSU filmed it and it's kind of weird but it was fun I mean whatever we went back to double time to record just that song so we didn't use the version we recorded for battle hymns for the video we actually went back to the studio and re-recorded it um, that was kind of like a weirdly like our hit song back then you know that was a song that was probably one of the catchiest and more you know kind of a lot of the whoa stuff going on it's a great song. It's a fucked up, like all over the place song. Most of our songs were. That's one thing I got to say about that I loved about Tilt Wheel at that time is our songs were not very straightforward. They were kind of all over the place. They were really complex, but they were beautiful, man. I love, love, love those songs. I wish we did a little bit more of that now. Um, we've kind of strayed away from that, you know, in the last several years, like at least the last like maybe 15 years or so. To where the songs are a lot more straightforward, and there, I, I still love Tilt Wheel songs, I truly do. But we wrote some fucked up songs back then, but they were great, you know. Um, yeah, so the video was fun. Um, the record was awesome, got great reviews. I mean, not that that matters much. It, what matters is were we happy? And yes, we were stoked. We were like really, really stoked all the time. Um. You know, a lot happened to us. I ended up getting a DUI coming home from a show one night, and that really fucked my life up. Um, you know, but it did probably end up saving my life, I would say, like, because, goddamn, I, guess what? I stopped drinking and driving, which I did all the time. I'd play a show and drink, like, six beers and drive home fucked up, you know, and I'd stop doing that. Thank God. That was an eye-opener for me. You know, with all that money you got to shell out, like, you better wake up and losing your license for, like, three months. Um, So much more happened in these days. And I'll try, you know, at some point, like I said, I'll have Davey and Aaron over and we'll sit down and talk and just talk about these days that I'm talking about. But that's going to – I'm going to wrap it up here pretty quick. Um, I don't want to go on for too much longer. There's so much to talk about. But I think I touched on – kind of the the best most important aspects of those times you know Davey and or Aaron might digress and disagree with that statement there might be more stuff that stands out for them but I think I touched on most of the things that really stand out for me the most um you know the ant uh when we lost Aaron it, it you know I talk about him like he's dead dude by the way Aaron I live in Encinitas now Aaron does as well Aaron lives like I don't know, five or six blocks away from me. I talk to the dude like maybe once a month. You know, <clears throat> Aaron, if you're listening, you know, we should probably hang out a little bit more often considering how close we live together, bro. You know what I mean? Uh, regardless, Aaron started going to school, a graphic design school. Um, up until then, you know, he had been like silk screening shirts, kind of just doing grunt work. And it sucked, and he wanted to improve his life. So he started doing this, like, a, I think it was like a one-year school where you go. He would go every night, except for, I think he had one night a week off, but he'd leave straight from work, 
class was down by SDSU and we lived in Cardiff. We're still roommates at this point. Um, And school started at 6 p.m. and ended at 10 p.m. Well, guess what? We couldn't practice anymore. And we played during the week on weekends. We were playing like probably twice a week in those days, practicing like at least twice a week. So we kind of just couldn't go on. You know, we're like, dude, what are we going to do? You know, we we don't we can't play shows. We can't book shows. We can't practice. We can't write new stuff. So what do we do? And we talked to Aaron. We're like, well, what do you want to do? You know? And he's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to quit or, or whatever. And we're like, well, we don't want to lose you either. I mean, it, that wasn't anything we ever, ever, ever wanted. We, I will completely say we never wanted to lose Aaron. Do you know how stoked I would be if Aaron had been our bass player from day one till now, 27 something years later, I'd be, comp- you know, no offense to any of the bass players that have played until we all fucking 50 of you. Um, but I would so much rather have had Aaron the whole time because Aaron's my dude, man. I mean, that's all I can say. He he is tilt wheel. I mean, he he is fucking tilt wheel. Um, that's a hard time, man. I'm serious. Like I start, I'm starting to tear up. It, it hurts to this day to think um, about how it didn't go down really bad or anything, but it didn't go down. I, that's some not something we did not want to lose Aaron, and we had to. If we wanted to keep going as a band, you know, um, we had, while Aaron was in the band, I'll go back just a tiny bit. We got an offer from Cargo Records to put out a record with them. They gave us a contract and everything. And we said no, because we couldn't do the touring. We all had to work really. We just couldn't do it. They wanted like a record every three years or something like that. And we just didn't, we didn't have the, the material to do that. And we, refused to just write shitty songs just to put a record out and plus he wanted us to tour constantly and we really just couldn't do it did we miss our big break there I don't know I don't really care to be honest with you I was a little bitter about it for up for like five minutes and I go oh fuck we couldn't have done it anyway we were getting offers from major labels also like every week because that was the feeding frenzy that's when Green Day and Offspring in those you know, like mid nineties got huge. Um, we were getting letters from major labels. Like we want to check out your band. Where's the next show you're going to play? Oh, come play in LA, play this showcase for us. You know, fuck you guys. Majors were a major bomber back then and still are really, I would say. So, um, so we lost Aaron, you know, we just, we couldn't keep going as a band and it was the saddest thing, man. It was such a bummer. Ross came in and Aaron and Ross kind of played bass at the same time for a little bit. And eventually Ross just kind of got moved into the full time thing, you know, and in order for us to stay a band, um, that's what we had to do. And, uh, you know, Davey might disagree with me because we have disagreed about it before. I hope I'm being accurate. You know, in my mind, this isn't accurate. Everything I said was accurate about the way it kind of happened. Like we never really asked him to leave, but I remember talking to him one night and saying, look, we're going to have to play with somebody that can practice and play shows. And that's not you right now. So I'm really sorry. You know, it fucking breaks my heart, man. It really does. Like, seriously, I'm choking up. It it really, really still to this day, um, really makes me very sad. Um, on a higher note though, Ross ended up moving to Truckee sometime in 1998. I had moved down to San Diego, um, kind of down near velvet. So called Aaron and said, Hey, what are you doing? He was out of school. He was free, you know, more or less. You want to come play? And so I think we played one show with Aaron at Velvet, practiced with him a couple times, and then he was just busy, you know, so it just faded out. But at least we had him back for a tiny, tiny bit. Um, That was good. The Aaron years, you know, those were some of my favorite years of the band. Really, it was like the beginning of so, so much fun stuff. I love Aaron to death. I always will. He was a great friend. He was my roommate. You know, for years, um, bandmate, we traveled a lot together, played a lot of shows, made some good music, and had a ton of fun. I missed the dude dearly, even though he only lives, like I said, about six blocks from me. But those were great times, man. I I hope you enjoyed it tonight. I really did enjoy talking about it. Um, Sorry I went on for so long here. I'm looking. We're almost an hour in. But there's a lot to cover, and I'm sure I missed a lot of stuff, too. But, you know, maybe we'll get to that someday. Anyway, this is the I Want to Party with Bob Cop podcast. I, I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed talking about it. Um, 
Got a lot of good stuff coming up soon. Did some paranormal research today uh, at a couple haunted places that we got some pretty cool images of actually some ghostly activity. So for legitimately, like this is no shit, real stuff. I'm not just saying that to, you know, be popular because God knows all two of you that are listening aren't going to pay my bills. Yeah, anyway, that's not really a true statement anyways. <clears throat> well, anyways, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed it. it like I said, I really love talking about it tonight. And uh, I'll catch you on the next one.